Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that this world is not all there is, and that there is coming for every believer in Jesus a time when there will be no more night, no more pain, no more tears, never sorrow again. We're so thankful for that hope that grips us. And so, Lord, within the context of that hope, as we turn now to your word that we believe is unequivocally true, we pray that you would speak your hope into our lives that we would be encouraged, that we would be transformed, that we would be renewed, and that, Lord, as we go back out into a world that is deeply in need of your hope, that not only would we be filled with it, but, Lord, help us to carry it to them, too. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Sea of Galilee has captured my imagination for a long time, and I can remember from earliest days of going to church and being in Sunday school. How many of you remember those flannel boards that the Sunday school teachers used to use? Some of you are very familiar with those. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of y'all don't even know what a chalkboard is, and that's okay. Things change, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I can remember being a kid and seeing the stories of Jesus presented in that way, and everything seemed to center around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was such a central location for so many things that happened in Jesus' life and ministry, and so many important moments that changed the world, and as a result, changed the lives of any who hear about them. The Sea of Galilee has many names in Scripture. It's known as the Sea of Galilee, of course, the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Chenereth, the Sea of Tiberias. But no matter what you call it, it is that lake, that freshwater lake in northern Israel that's still there today, out of which flows the Jordan River. It is that place where so much of Jesus' ministry happened. So when we went to the Holy Land, that was the site I was looking forward to the most. And I I, I don't know why. Maybe it was because of all the things that happened there, or maybe it was because I knew that nobody could build a church on top of the whole lake, as they built churches on top of a lot of places in the Holy Land. But I remember as we were coming out of Tel Aviv and going north along the Mediterranean, and we came over, and we were going to stay that first, that our second night in country, we were going to stay there at the Sea of Galilee in Tiberias. And I can remember after a day of touring, when we came toward the Sea of Galilee, we, we came over a ridge, and I saw it for the first time. I mean, I had goosebumps. I've got goosebumps right now telling you about it. I took a picture of that moment. I was sitting in the very front of the bus as, as the pastor guide of the trip, and so I had a great shot, and I took a picture, and, and I was so amazed to see the Sea of Galilee, so thankful to get to be there, this sacred sight that I was looking forward to seeing so much. Well, we had some amazing moments in and around the Sea of Galilee, and there are several people in this room right now who are a part of that trip. And I think for most of us on the trip, the day that we got on a boat and went on a cruise on the Sea of Galilee, it was one of those moments where God showed up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Jesus has told us He's with us always. We know that. We don't have to invite Him to come to us. He's already here. But there are moments when it's, it's like His presence is palpable. This was one of those moments. 
This was one of those moments in a place where Jesus had changed so many lives that once again he was changing lives. This time it was ours. It was unbelievable. So I want to encourage you yet again, you need to go. If you're on the fence, should I go to the Holy Land? Answer, yes. That should be a priority for every believer and every non-believer because I'm going to tell you, God does amazing things there, but God also does amazing things here. And so today I want to talk to you about something that struck me about the Sea of Galilee because it pertains to the lives that we're living right here, right now, and that is this. It was just so ordinary. Like, I was expecting this sacred holy site, and it is a sacred holy site, but when we got there, it's a lake. It's just a lake. And it's surrounded by cities whose names you know, places like Magdala. You know somebody from Magdala. Her name's Mary. She's the Magdalene. It's surrounded by places that you have read about and heard about and been told about, but it's just a lake, a freshwater lake out of which they catch tilapia. I was amazed at how ordinary it was. But this is the theme I want to give us today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Everything is ordinary until Jesus shows up. Everything is ordinary until Jesus shows up. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. I'm preaching two verses today. Two verses, that's it. No long-winded preacher today, just two verses. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. If you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the room, that is page 836. And on page 836, we're going to the top of the second column. But I want to remind you of our theme. Everything is ordinary until Jesus shows up. Mark, John Mark writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you become fishers of men. Four points from these two verses, and the first one comes simply from the first phrase, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And our first point today, which is the first part of a four-part sentence that we're going to craft, is this. Jesus went to common places. Jesus went to common places. So again, I was expecting this sacred holy site, and, and had the opportunity to leave our hotel and walk down alongside the Sea of Galilee. And if you went to the left from our hotel, there was some untouched area, or at least less touched area. You know, there was, you could go down to the seashore, and it looked very much like a seashore. It looked very much like a lakeside that you could encounter at Barren River Lake, or you could encounter at Basil Griffin Park. I mean, it was just where water meets land. It smelled the same. You know that smell. Anybody's ever been around the lake, you know that smell. And so there was, this, there was this part of it that was less touched, but then if you went the other way, there was a part of it that had been developed completely. And so I went down to this area because, quite frankly, I didn't know if I could fly sunscreen that you spray on at, across the ocean and it might explode and be a problem for all of us. So I needed to buy some sunscreen because I got sunburnt the first day because I didn't have a wife there to tell me, hey, put on sunscreen. So 
I needed to buy some sunscreen, so I went looking for sunscreen. Well, as I walked, I walked down to this developed area there in Tiberias, and let me tell you what I saw. In this holy sacred site, I saw a marina where all kinds of boats were there. And they're just like the boats you could see at Barren River Lake or Lake Cumberland. They're just like the boats you would see at Old Hickory. They had tubes, inflatable tubes that they would pull behind them. I mean, can you imagine right there on the Sea of Galilee? They had jet skis of all things right there on the Sea of Galilee. I went a little further down, and there was this water recreation area that had all of these inflatable obstacles, just like they have at Jonathan Creek, where we take our kids to crossings every year for church camp. And you could climb up on the iceberg and slide down right there in the Sea of Galilee. And, and frankly, I, I'm walking around this area, and there are restaurants there, and there are stores there, markets there. There's music there. There are people doing everything that just regular people do right here on this site I've traveled 6,300 miles to get to. There are families, and the families have little kids, and the little kids were so sweet, and they're just running everywhere. I mean everywhere. And it was amazing. Uh, they were eating cotton candy, and then they had this booth where you could get a thing that had Nutella in it. How many of you are glad to know they have Nutella even on the Sea of Galilee. Nutella is such a great nutritional value. To, it's really not, but it tastes so good. But you could get cotton candy there. You could get Nutella there. You could buy oranges there. You could buy other things you probably shouldn't buy there. There was music, and there was dancing, and there were people having fun, and people enjoying meals, and people just, just living life. The Sea of Galilee, as it turns out, was so ordinary. There was, you know, those, those, those arcade games that have the punching bag, and you punch them to see how strong you are? They had a couple of those there, and these even had things you could kick to see how strong you could kick. It was just, it was just regular life, and I was, I was shocked. And that's when it hit me. Jesus didn't go to the Sea of Galilee because it was a holy place. See, they didn't have like, you know, the electronic stuff 2,000 years ago. But it's just a regular place. People were fishing then just as they're fishing now. People were eating then just as they're eating now. People were having recreation then just as they're having recreation now. Jesus didn't go to the Sea of Galilee because it was a sacred site. He went to make it a sacred site. So Jesus goes to common places, everyday places, places just like you and I would go. I mean, maybe if he had come to Bowling Green, Kentucky in the year 2023, Jesus would have gone to the Greenwood Mall. Or Jesus would have gone, Lord, help us to the super Walmart. Jesus would have gone to the place where the people were gathered. And he wouldn't have gone there because it's a sacred site. He would have gone there to make it a sacred site. So the first point, the first part of our one-sentence sermon today is Jesus went to common places. What did he do there? Well, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Our second point today is this. So Jesus went to common places where he met regular people. Where he met regular people. So the way it worked in this part of the world at this time in Judaism was that at age five, all the boys started going to Torah school. They started going to study the Torah. 
the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That started at age five. By age 10, all the boys knew the Torah, and the best students went on then to study the rest of what we call the Old Testament. The, the, the guys that were not the best students, they went back home to learn their family trade. So, you had a, a divergence here at age 10. We're talking about, what, fifth graders? So, you come to the end of their functional equivalent of fifth grade, and the students who are really excelling, the boys, they go on to study the rest of the Old Testament. The rest of them are sent home to learn the family business so that they can do what they're supposed to do. They would learn it from their dads. And they would continue that life that their family had been building for years. By age 17, those who had gone on to study the rest of the Old Testament would then go looking for a rabbi. It was recruiting time. And the rabbis had the ability to select out of the pool of candidates that wanted to follow them to select those young men who would be their disciples. And the goal of a disciple was to learn everything they could learn from the rabbi that they had chosen who had chosen them in return. They'd gotten their letter of acceptance and could go study under this person. And their goal, if they were accepted, was to follow that rabbi as closely as they could so that they would be, and this was the colloquialism that they used to describe it, that they would walk so closely behind their rabbi, embracing not only the teaching of the rabbi, but watching and emulating the way of life of the rabbi. They wanted to be covered in the dust, kicked up by the rabbi's feet. That's how closely they wanted to follow their rabbi. So again, a divergence happens. Age 10, all the boys that, wanna, that are excelling in school, they go to more school. All the boys that aren't, they go back home to learn the trade. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to Simon and Andrew. What are they doing? Well, we know that Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist, but John the Baptist was a whole different issue. But what are they doing? They're fishing. And why are they fishing? Because they want to have fun? No. They're fishing because they've got bills to pay. They're fishing because that's how they make a living. Jesus looked out and he saw fishermen. I think it's so appropriate, Kurt, that today's the day you get baptized here at First Baptist Church because Kurt is a fisherman. And in fact, if you go fishing with Kurt Simpson, you don't go fishing, you go catching. My son and I caught more crappie down in Alabama with Kurt than I've ever seen at one time in my life. And the man knows everything. He knows how to tie a jig because we got hung up a lot. He knows how to change it out and to do it quickly. He knows how to untangle lines. He knows how to fix a bird's nest, which is what happens when you cast and you do it wrong and the line gets all tangled up within the reel. He knows how to do all of that. It was amazing. We had a phenomenal time. And I love the fact that Kurt uses his business as a ministry platform because on the back of the shirts that he wears, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men because he loves Jesus. And he wants you to love Jesus too because he wants you to know how much Jesus loves you. Well, Jesus called fishermen, Simon and Andrew. James and John, they were there with their father Zebedee. We learn as we read further down, what are they doing? They're doing the family business. Zebedee knows one day his time will come to an end and it'll be time for the boys to take over. So what are they doing? They're just living ordinary lives. 
regular people, just like you and me. And it is, isn't it amazing that that's where Jesus shows up to call them? Think about the people that Jesus called. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, when Jesus called them, they were fishing. Matthew was a tax collector, so guess what Matthew was doing? He was collecting taxes. Martha was hosting, and she's making sure everybody had what they needed. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, you know what he was doing? He was begging. Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of Christians, you know what he was doing? He was going to persecute Christians when he encountered Jesus. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, you know what he was doing? He was trading slaves when he encountered Jesus. Billy Graham, who preached the gospel to more people than anybody in the history of the world. Billy Graham was dreaming about baseball and girls when he went to a revival in his hometown that he had to go to because his dad was involved. And God got a hold of him. God just, he comes after the regular people. And aren't you glad? I'm glad because I'm a regular person. And so are you. Luke was a physician. I'm sure treating patients when the Lord got a hold of him. You just never know when God's going to show up and change your life. But Jesus went to common places where he met regular people. How regular were Peter and John? Well, if you look at the bottom of your notes, I've, I've included a line, a verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. This is after the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is after uh, Peter had, had addressed the crowd and, and so many thousands were added to their number that day. No, this was the day when Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they went through the beautiful gate, and there was a beggar there who asked for alms. And they said to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we will give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this person got up and walked. Unbelievable. And so what did they do? Peter, who couldn't say Jesus' name to the slave girl outside of the trial where Jesus was being condemned, now stands up and uses this as an opportunity to profess the name of Jesus and to proclaim the name of Jesus to everyone gathered there in the very place the same city where Jesus was condemned and outside of which Jesus was killed. Peter stands up and he declares the gospel of Jesus Christ and the religious leaders come around and you know what the Bible says about them? It says they were greatly annoyed that Peter was doing this. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, look at what it says. Now, when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. When Jesus found them, what were they doing? Well, the passage says that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Our third point, 
First point, Jesus went to common places. Second point, where he met regular people. Third point, just doing their thing. They were casting their nets into the sea. Do you know why they were casting their nets into the sea? Because they were fishermen. And if you're going to catch fish, you got to put something into the sea. Whether it's a line, a hook, a worm, a minnow, or you're casting a net, you got to do it. They're just doing their thing. Let me ask you a question. What were you doing when the Lord got a hold of you? Now, for me personally, I had been taken by my church youth group to a festival at Camp Lucon in Litchfield, Kentucky. But let me tell you something. 12-year-old Jeff had no aspirations of becoming a preacher. 12-year-old Jeff was there for two reasons. Number one, my parents told me I was going. How many of you have had parents who loved you enough to make you do some things you might have chosen otherwise? So my parents told me I was going, and, and while I was there, I was probably trying to impress some young lady because 12-year-old Jeff was awakening to the reality that there were females in the world. And while I was there, just doing youth group stuff, man, God got a hold of me. And he would get a hold of me several times. He still gets a hold of me today, but it always comes in the most ordinary moments. The moments where I get revved up to have this sacred holy moment. Turns out that's not it. It's, it's when God catches me off guard. Does he ever catch you off guard? When I went away to college, I thought playing football was pretty safe from sacred things. And it happened there on a practice field in Danville, Kentucky, next to the place where they brought all the animals to sell. It smelled really good on 95-degree days. And God showed up there. God's shown up for me in hospitals. He's shown up for me in waiting rooms. He's shown up for me on fishing boats. He's shown up for me certainly right here. God tends to catch us off guard because he goes to common places where he meets regular people just doing their thing and watch what he does. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Our fourth and final point, and made them holy. Jesus went to common places where he met regular people just doing their thing, and he made them holy. His call to Simon and Andrew would become his call to everyone he would meet. Two words, very simple, follow me. He called Simon and Andrew with that call. He called James and John with that call. Follow me. He called Matthew, the tax collector, with that call. He called the, the man awaiting his father's inheritance with that call. He called uh, the disciples before he sent them out, telling them what they should proclaim. Two words, follow me, Jesus said. And do you know how he calls you and me today? Two words, follow me. So we have to decide, will we trust Jesus enough to follow him? Because that's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our faith. Faith is not giving intellectual assent to the notion that Jesus might have existed. Faith is not giving intellectual assent to the notion that Jesus might have died on the cross and risen the third, third day from the grave. No, faith is much more than agreeing intellectually with those truths. Faith is saying, I believe it, but beyond that, I receive it. I receive 
the truth of Jesus. By repenting of my sin, following him in faith, and making him my personal Lord and Savior. Will I trust Jesus enough to follow him? And that's interestingly the question that he's always asking us when he interrupts us in our everyday moments. So I don't know where it's going to happen to you this week, but I bet it will. For some of you, it'll be out on a golf course. For some of you, it'll be while you're on vacation. For some of you, it'll be while you're going to work. For some of you, it will be while you're coaching kids. For some of you, it will be while you're competing in athletic events. Jesus is going to show up. He's going to call you to follow. What will you do? Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.